You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good morning, everybody. I hope that you've already been worshiping our King Jesus. And as we come to the time of preaching, let's always just be reminded that worship is to just continue on. We don't split our worship up and then move to our learning time, but as we... <laughs> well, <laughs> but as we come to God's word, what we really want to do is we want to see how God is worthy through his word and then how that can transform our lives. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I know we've got some new folks here. We want you to know how glad we are you're here and how welcome you are at Fellowship Paragold. Our hope is that you would move from being a guest this morning to being family with us because that's what we are as a church. We seek to live together as family of missionary servants. And the way we do this primarily is through what we call missional communities. And you'll have some more information later at the end of the service about what that looks like. But I just want to go ahead and get you thinking in that direction and let you know that that is our hope and goal for you. We exist so that the real Jesus would be known in this city. And we hope that you know the real Jesus. And that's really what this morning's sermon is going to be all about. And so if you'd open your Bibles or... Take your eyes and open them up to the screen or your phones or whatever device you may have that you read your Bible on. We want to turn to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James 2, 14 through 26. We're in a series called Ground Level Christianity, so, or Christianity on the Ground Level. And so we're looking at what does this stuff look like in real life? Because you may have saw earlier on one of our uh, slides, we don't want to just see your Sundays transformed. I want to see your everyday transformed. And so James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 speaks exactly to this, this issue. So beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But somebody's going to say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would Teach us from your word. Holy Spirit, right now, would you just take what we've already heard 
And would you begin to implant truth in our hearts? Father, we're asking that we would not just merely attend a service this morning, but by your grace and through your power, that you would change the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we live. We are totally dependent upon you to do this. So lead us now, grow us, sanctify us by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's Sunday, and some of you tonight, if not many of you tonight, are going to go home, whether you want to admit it or not, and you're going to watch a television show called The Walking Dead. Not Randy, but some of you are. And whether you watch it or not, I'm going to teach you a little bit about this show. All right, it's set primarily in the South. And in the South, an infection has outbroken or has had an outbreak in the population that has overtaken it. And so now there are all of these bodies that are walking through the South who look like they are alive, but they're really dead. So they make a lot of noise. They've got a lot of activity going on, but they're dead. And until people realize how to tell the difference between the dead and the living, they don't know how to operate in society. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to cope in the world. And those who are dead but appear to be alive consume everything and wreak havoc and destruction everywhere they go. And it's gruesome, and I'm not recommending it. Just to put that in the parentheses. But as I see the images of these hordes of the, the living dead making all of this noise, making all of this activity, and causing all of this sort of uh, effortless, effortless destruction, and I read James two fourteen through 26, I can't help but draw the connection that what we live in primarily in the South is a walking dead Christianity. Where there are hordes of people gathering this morning hordes of people that will be flocking into the restaurants hordes of people living in their everyday lives calling themselves christians but all it is is noise and activity but no life no life and that that's really the big reason why we exist is we want to see people not just know the right facts in their heads about who jesus is but know what it means to live a life where jesus is a good good king you see there are people speaking singing serving the appearance of life movement and noise but it is of so many people who have yet to experience a life-giving relationship with the real jesus and there may be unbelievers here this morning you may be here and you've not yet committed your life to christ and i think you'd probably be some of the first ones to say amen <laughs> amen Everybody I know says they're a Christian, but I can't tell the difference. I don't know. What does a Christian look like? Because everybody calls themselves a Christian. What does faith look like? Because everybody I know says they have some kinds of faith. So many of us don't know how to recognize what a true living faith is. We don't even know if we have it. We don't know who has it. And so we talk a lot about faith, but what is faith? It's important that we understand what true faith looks like because we're talking about life or death. We're talking about the most important thing in this world, not just for our future, but for our present. And this is why James 2 is good news. Not bad news, not causing us to, to, to live in some kind of self-focused introspection, looking into ourselves, always doubting our salvation, but calling us to see where we need to be looking and what it looks like to live a life that looks to Jesus. 
Verse 14 is really the main point of this whole passage summed up. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So what James is laying out here is what is the difference between a false faith and a true faith? A saving faith and a killing faith. A dead faith and a living faith. And what we see here is Jesus does not have any zombie followers. God does not have any true walking dead children. So we must know what a faith that saves is a faith that lives. And so we're going to answer two questions. The first one, what does a walking dead faith look like? Well, James tells us here again in verses 14 through 17, it consists of lifeless noise. So he says here, what... You say you have faith, but if that faith doesn't have works, can that faith save him? And then verse 15, he gives this example. Let's say a brother or sister is poor, and they're like, man, we, we lack food. We don't have anything to eat. We don't have any clothes to wear. And you're like, oh, we need to help the poor. Go in peace. Be warmed. Be filled, brother. But then you don't do anything to help them. James here is saying, what good is that? What good is that? What good are words that you don't mean? And so he says here again in, in no uncertain terms in verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead now, James anticipates in verse 18 that some people are going to try to say, well, you can, you can separate these things. But this is James' point, is you cannot separate these things. It's as if that you are in a house that is on fire. And the, the fireman runs up to the house, and he puts the ladder up to the side of your window, and he says, come down the ladder. And you say, all right, I believe that ladder will hold me. I believe you'll help me. And he's like, well, come on out the window. And you just keep standing there saying, I believe in it. I believe in it. But you never move. Guess what's going to happen? You're dead. Right? It doesn't matter how much you say you believe in it. If you don't follow, you're dead. That kind of faith, James is saying, can't save you. A faith that is mere words. But one way some people want to separate faith and works is by facts. And so James speaks to that so clearly here in verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe. What James is saying here is you might have all, all the right theological knowledge. That is, you know all the things that the Bible teaches. You know what you believe, and you know why you believe it. You could ace every Sunday school test. You could teach everybody. You could set everybody right in the world. You could win all the online debates. You could stump everybody at work. But guess what? Who else could? The demons. Do you realize that the demons know as much about God as anybody? You see, a perfect statement of faith doesn't mean that you have faith. True faith is not lifeless facts. Now, I know this might make some of us uncomfortable, but I've did this before. As we have this way of sharing the gospel with people, we say, if, 
If you were to die and you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And we tell people, if they know the right answer to that question, then guess what? You're a Christian. But the reality is you can know the right answer to that question and not have a living faith. <laughs> because faith isn't learning the password into heaven. <laughs> That's lifeless facts. And there are some people who want to hide their lack of faith in Bible studies. They want to learn more. They want to know more because they don't want to be the person who actually has to live this stuff. They want to be the person who could do a study all day long about what it means and what God tells us about loving the poor. But just like this example, they won't want to go do that. Lifeless noise is a walking dead faith. Lifeless, lifeless facts, but even notice lifeless fear. You see at the end of this verse, the demons believe and shudder. You see that? The demons are afraid of God. The demons are afraid of God's judgment. The demons fear hell. But the demons do not have a living faith. This is big. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 7 we see, And crying out with a loud voice, these demon, this demon said to Jesus, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. If you are only afraid of going to hell, so you have signed a Christian card, guess what? You do not have a saving faith. The demons fear hell, and the demons believe the right things about God. Faith is not being afraid of God later. So it's a lifeless faith, so James says in verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is dead. A dead faith is useless. As a song I heard one time said, it's like a screen door on a submarine. Right? It might look good. It might be a nice idea. But no point. And you might say, well, that seems kind of strong saying the word foolish. But if you remember earlier in the scriptures in Psalm 14.1, it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And we've got plenty of people who say that God is that there is a God in their head, but have yet to really experience a faith in God from their heart. And it's useless. And this is good news for you this morning. If you're sitting there and you're feeling attention, this is good news because you are the first one to say, yes, it does feel useless. <laughs> it does feel foolish to just say I'm a Christian and to just say, well, maybe if this hell thing happens later on, I'll get out of it. But, but my marriage is a mess. My everyday workplace is a mess. It's useless. So God in His grace shows us that a faith that is dead, that is merely facts, that is merely fear, that is merely noise, is useless. This is His grace. Some of you may be like this, this uh, story I've heard recently. It just blew my mind several weeks ago. And, uh, and I know there's always more facts coming out, but I'm just going to stick with the story as it is right now. Several of my friends from a, a city that I used to live in were posting about this police officer who died in the line of duty. And they were, they were, they were saying, we can't, we can't wait, and we're calling everyone to come out to this parade to, to celebrate his life. He, he loved the community. He had served for like 30-plus years in the community as a police officer. He had begun this youth service that t took 
broken youth from the community, and he worked with them to restore their lives. And he had just protected this community and cared for it, and then he died in the line of duty. Took three shots to the chest. Everyone was heartbroken. They were all called to support him. The, the difficult part is what just came out is it was all a lie. What he had done is he had staged an attack, put his gun up underneath his bulletproof vest and gave himself three shots to the chest because through text messages being discovered, it was being found out that what he was actually doing was using this youth group that he had started to, to launder money through so that he could use the money on his own personal affairs, some of it very immoral. But it all looked good. Had the right look, the right acts, the right facts, and for a time even a right fear. But it ended up in his death. And we love you too much to not tell you that. That you might believe the right things and know how to make yourself look the right way, especially on this Sunday morning setting. But if all it is is noise, movement, it's useless, and it's fatal. So what is faith? What does a living faith look like? Well, we see this in verses 21 through 26. The first thing we see here in verses 21 to 33 is that a living faith is a faith that follows. A faith that follows God, a faith that, that follows Jesus. And so we see in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, to, to understand a little bit about what's going on here, because some of you that know the Bible are probably like, wait a minute, I thought you guys were always telling us we were made right with God through faith alone. And it looks like I've just heard you read a part of the Bible that tells me the exact opposite. And so we've got to stop here and pause, because I know that's an objection that some of you will have in your mind. Well, first of all, is James and Paul knew each other. All right? So these are not like two competing dudes and, you know, the Bible's just randomly, you know, ah, let's stick this guy's opinion in here and this guy's opinion in here. We don't have time this morning, but for those who are more interested, you can go to Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, and you'll see they have a council early on in the life of the church about this very issue of whether people have to, to do certain things to be considered to be saved. And both James and Paul agree the answer is no. You are saved through trust in Jesus Christ alone. That is what makes you declared right before the Father. Also, the early church didn't have a problem with this. They didn't see this was in contradiction because they very gladly accepted both the writings of Paul and the writings of James. And so we have to ask ourselves, if there's not a contradiction here and everybody back then was just like, yeah, that makes sense, then why is it a problem for us? But the first thing is it's a problem for us. It wasn't a problem for them, right? They were there. They understood it. It's because sometimes we forget what is really obvious is that we can use the same word to have different meanings at times. And justified is one of those words. Is that when Paul uses the word justified in places like Romans 3.28 where he says, for a person is not justified by works, but through faith alone, is that Paul is talking in his context about being declared right by God in a legal courtroom setting. So it's receiving a verdict, you are declared right. 
When James is using the word justified, he's using the word justified in this way. Just this week, I, weekend, I went with the, some of these guys down to Chattanooga, and they wanted to call me a liar. <laughs> yeah, okay. So if you've ever been to Chattanooga, you've heard of Rock City. And Rock City boasts the claim that you can see seven states from there. And nobody believes me, but thankfully Ryan and Libby Mason have my back. They're like, there's no way you can say seven states. So what are they saying? If they wanted to talk like James, this is what they'd say. Justify that statement. Justify it. And what does that mean? Prove it to be true. Now, if I prove it to be true, does that make it true? No. It just is true, right? When Paul talks about us being justified before the Father, he is saying, God is saying, this is true. And when James is saying, justify your faith by your works, he's saying, show it to be true. And what James is saying, and we can see this in Paul elsewhere, is that you can't have one without the other. That when God declares you to be right, then your life will then live a life that justifies that's right. This is what he's saying, and so he uses this example of Abraham. Abraham is everybody's really example in the Bible for being saved by faith alone. And, and, and James is even going to use this text. But what Abraham did, God tested his faith, not to, not to make it true, but to show that it was true. He said, Abraham, I want you to go kill your son. What? Right? What? But Abraham said, I know God's a good God. I know God's not a God that murders children. I know God's a God that can raise the dead. So even if I do take Isaac's life, God's promised that this is my child of promise. He'll raise him from the dead. And so Abraham goes ahead, trusts God, takes his son up the mountain, and sure enough, as Abraham is faithful and he's about to bring the knife down on Isaac, God says, time out. There's a ram provided for the sacrifice. What James is here is using that as an example. You'll notice as James says, that was a demonstration or a justification that what Abraham said meant when he said, God, I trust you, it was true. Abraham followed God. And so if you'll read here with me, this is exactly what I was saying a second ago. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works. That is, it's faith that moved his works. Faith was completed by his works. So that is, his faith was shown to be mature, shown to be real by his works. Verse 23, and this, this, is, this is it. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it, counted, it was counted to him as righteousness. So there it is. When Abraham believed God earlier in Genesis, God already said, Abraham, you're righteous. But when Abraham followed God later, it fulfilled that. That is, it said, See, that was real. That was real. What, Paul, what James is saying here is a true faith, a living faith, is a faith that follows God. It's not a faith that says, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. How many times have you heard it? Well, I just need to be happy. And even if that means disobeying God, somehow we get this idea in our mind, God's cool with that. Guess what? That's a dead faith. A dead faith does not follow God. A living faith, though, on the other hand, if you're wondering this, it's not a perfect faith. 
But it's a faith that trusts God enough to go with him. It's like a baby. When dad says, walk to me. And the baby walks to his dad and what he might fall several times along the way. But because he trusts his father, he walks to his father. And that's what a living faith is. It's not a perfect faith. It's a falling faith, but it's a following faith. But also we see, and this is really the heart of this. Notice what the end of verse 23 says. And he was called a friend of God. A living faith is not just a faith that follows. It's a faith that's a friendship. It's a friendship. A faith that simply plays the afterlife card or the grace card in a careless attempt to justify living a life that's not following God has yet to enter into a true relationship with God. It's a friendship. Faith is us entering and living out of a friendship. I think some of us think of God as like, have you ever, you ever had your mom or dad be like, no, you're going to be friends with that person. They don't have any friends at school, and because I'm friends with their parents, I want you to be nice. Versus like the coolest person at school, you're like, I want to be friends with that person. If you were honest this morning, which category would you put God in? The person you kind of got to have to tolerate or the person that you're like, this is my friend. This is my friend. See, no wonder we don't follow God. We don't see God as a friend. It's because we fail to see in the gospel that God is the one who's drawn near to us to be our friend. He's the one who saw us in our mess. He's the one who sees us with our weaknesses. He's the one who sees us as the one nobody wants to be around. And he pursues us. He goes after us. And as the Gospel of John says, Jesus says, No greater love than this hath a man for his friends than he lay down his life for them. Do you understand that this morning is... Jesus doesn't just want to save you from hell. He wants to be your friend. Jesus doesn't just want to give you a good afterlife. Jesus wants to be with you now. A faith that is a friendship with God is a faith that all of a sudden is not useless. It's a faith that transforms our lives. But so many people, especially in the religious south, have a dead faith because they've signed up for a place instead of a person a true faith is following it's friendship and and then it's a faith that bears fruit that works come out of it and this is how the text ends verse 24 you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone so again you're shown to be right with god james use of the word justify not by faith it merely says i believe in god but by faith that actually follows God. Now, as this might seem a little contradictory still, just think, just think about it like this. Think about a tree. It bears leaves, right? If, if that tree has no leaves on it, that tree is dead. But if the tree has leaves on it, then it is alive so a tree is not shown to be alive without the leaves 
Do the leaves make the tree alive? No, the leaves show that the tree is alive. It's exactly what James is wanting us to see. We don't look at the amount of leaves. We don't look at the size of the leaves. If there's no leaves, there's no life. And so he gives this other example of Rahab. Rahab is an Old Testament Gentile prostitute. He says, was not Rahab even justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Long story short, Israel's spies were sent to look into this, this city of Jericho, and Rahab said, I'll help you guys out. When you come, you can, you can stay here, you can spy, and I'll let you go. Now, if Rahab wouldn't have been serious, then she would have had an ambush waiting on these guys when they got there. But it was shown that what she said was real because she actually helped them out. Her faith was proven to be true by her life. And I think one of the reasons that James put this, puts this in here is we see that these works that he's talking about, they're not religious rituals. They're not baptism. They're not communion. They're not saying, check off these works and then you're saved. No, he's saying these works that he is talking about are a life of faith that counts for everyone. James is not a legalist calling to a list of rules. He is a gospel preacher calling us to a life with God. A life with God. A friendship. You might not believe it, but I met Kobe Bryant one time. I really did. I went to school in Chicago, and, and these guys don't believe it. But, uh, <laughs> and whoever played the Chicago Bulls would practice in the gym of the school that we lived at, at, that we were at, because it was a small school. They could get in there, no distractions. And I remember seeing him and trying to chat with him. It didn't really go very well. Y'all are younger than me, but he, Brandy was a famous singer then. And so he was dating Brandy, and I tried to ask him about that. He just looked at me and kept walking. <laughs> All right? If I was to say, me and Kobe Bryant are friends, that's a pretty poor definition of friends. Pretty poor definition. But you know I had other real friends? And you know what me and my other real friends did a lot of the time? Guess what? Nothing. We didn't do anything. Mom and Dad, what are y'all going to go do tonight? I don't know. Right? We didn't need a purpose, did we? Y'all know what I'm talking about. When it's your friends, you don't need a purpose. You just want to be together, don't you? You just want to hang out. Let's just go drive around and see what happens. You know? That's faith. God's not calling you to a list of rules. He's just calling you into a relation that says... You're my friend. I love you. I trust you. I want to be with you. I want to go with you. I don't know where this car's going. You're taking me. But wherever it goes, count me in. Right? Let's get a bucket of chicken. Ride around. <laughs> That's what the gospel's wanting to do in our lives. That's why this is good news. And James is saying, if you don't want to go ride around with God, but you want to say he's your God, then guess what? You're not his friend. You don't have faith. See, Jesus didn't die to give you the right words, the right works, the right doctrine. He died to give you a new life. 
He called you to join Him in what He's doing in this world. He called you to see He laid down His life for you. And some of you may be wondering this morning, well, this, I wish this worked both ways. I don't really feel like God's been there for me. This is what the gospel points us to see. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, is that God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible even talks about God's justification. That God has justified His character. Did it make God right by sending Jesus? No, He is right. But through sending Jesus, it shone, it demonstrated, it proved He is a right God. He is a good God. He is not a God of merely words, I love you, sorry your life stinks. He is a God of action who sent His own Son to live the life you could never live, die the death you deserved and I deserved to die, and rise to give us a life that is now and forever. And the true living faith is a faith that says, I'm going with Him. That's my faith. That's my Savior. That's my King. That's my Lord. And if you have never trusted Him to follow Him, to be His friend, and to give your life to Him, then no matter what you've said before, you do not have a saving faith. But the good news is, all you've got to do is trust Him. Not go clean your life up and then say, okay, think, I think I'm now ready. No, trust Him. Get in the car with Him this morning. Get in the car with Him. And you might think, but everyone here has thought I was a Christian all of these years. Well, guess what? All you're going to be doing is just joining the club because half of us in here, that's our testimony. One pastor says this way. He thinks the most miraculous baptism stories start like this. I grew up in a Christian home. Why? Because you were taught everything. It was very easy for you to have your parents' faith. Very easy for you to learn how to fake it. Very easy for you to have the pressure to not be real. And if you were real, to feel like you're disappointing everybody and maybe even discrediting your family. The good news is there is a cure for walking dead Christians. It's not a bullet to the head. Right? It's the gospel to the heart. We are not saved by a profession of faith. We are saved by a possession of faith. And this is good news. A faith that lives is a faith that is that saves. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the good news that you've not just saved us to tolerate us, but you want to be our friends. You want to walk with us through our mess. And forgive us for making you a, a fairy tale in the sky that we've just sort of signed up for. And we ask now by your grace that you would reveal our hearts, show us where we stand, whether we have a living faith or a dead faith, and help us to come to you from wherever that point is in humble hope. In Jesus' name, amen.